You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Liberty Show. This is episode number 312 of the Centrist Favorite Podcast. I'm Jeremiah Morrill. Today I'm joined by executive video producer, audio engineer extraordinaire, uh, and uh, coach, Zach Burcham, and my forever co-host, the man that will drive all the fly all the way to Destin, Florida, just for some smoked salmon, Mr. Dakota Davis. Today's episode features Mr. Greg Counts, who is uh, his. This is his return episode, correct? And uh, we're going to be talking to Greg about the Greg Counts Metalworks, and we're also going to be talking about the vendor event that's happening um, up in Anderson, where you can go and uh, take a look at all of his goods. And we're going to be talking to him about some metalworking, and then we're also going to be talking about his expert vehicle advice. Greg is a Mechanic by day and ASC certified blacksmith by night. And then at the very end, Jeremiah is going to recap the Henry County GOP bratwurst lunch and uh, tell I just, us what he found. I, there. I just had a, a small disappointment there. Greg, did you ever watch Sesame Street? I, I did, but did I, you have a favorite character? I, I quit watching it before I really remember much, so it wasn't the count. It was not the count. God, one, all right. two, three. <laughs> one. I, was, I just saved that up. All right. This show is about our lives in rural Indiana. We're here to push your boundaries and make you think as individuals. Sometimes we provoke you. Other times we make you laugh. But hopefully you'll always learn something new. Dakota missed the show that Greg Greg was on. And uh, we reacted for him, essentially. Because he was. He, it was the most... I felt so bad for Dakota... That he missed that episode. He was keeping the lights on for the fine people of Indiana, for Hoosierville. Uh, and you missed the most manly episode we've ever done. It's been the theme this year where it's like every episode that it's like, I really want to, I can't wait for that one. And then it's like, oh, guess what? You get to work tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we have some chips on the table. It's a, not a bag that you may recognize if you're watching the live stream on YouTube or Facebook. And as is tradition, we tried some food in the Patreon portion of the show that Jeremiah brought back from, where are these from? Wisconsin, Minnesota? Those are from Charlie Barron's very favorite store up at the Quick Trip in Wisconsin. They're salt and vinegar, which is my favorite potato chip flavor. And uh, if you want to hear the full review, then you have to go to patreon.com slash boss hog of liberty. And you can sign up to support the show on a monthly level. Uh, 
we start out, the packages are like $5 a month, and then they go all the way up to $50 a month. And we give you um, a certain select amount of benefits as you sign up at any level. You get show notes before the show starts. You get access to our Facebook group. And then you also get access to a 20-minute bonus episode every week that we uh, also live stream. And we make our guests also try the strange and wonderful food that Jeremiah brings back from his travels. And uh, Well, most guests. Yeah, there's one. There's only been one so far that declined it. They refused. Yeah, absolutely refused. What, what nasty food did you bring for them? It wasn't even nasty. It was, it was a wonderful key lime pie. I will say this, though. Visually, that there is a a dissonance in your brain between the look of this pie and the taste of the pie. Does any key lime pie look good? This had this was enhanced. This was like the Barry Bonds of green. It was this it, was oh, like, overly green, not like this. Pale. This shockingly lime, green. This key lime pie was like this key lime pie was like a. Green, green jello. You know how nobody has yes. their original parts in Las Vegas or in in uh, Los Angeles. This would be like the um, this would be the Fontana uh, girl, <laughs> not the not not the Beverly Hills girl, but this is somebody from Rancho Cucamonga or Fontana, out away from the big muddy area. That's what this looked like. It, it looked like it was straight out of Fontana. If you want to hear what that's all about, you want to hear us talk about it, you can even still see the video. It is still available. Then you can go to patreon.com slash boss of liberty and you will get access to all of that content. And uh, yeah, the, the potato chips, which I'm not going to say anything more about. They might have been disgusting and they might have been great, but you'll never know. Patreon.com slash boss of liberty. If you support the show at $50 or more a month, you get a shout out at the front of every episode. Those folks are Miss Christy Avery from all the way in Fort Wayne, Indiana. She turned 30 this week. Happy birthday, Christy. Happy birthday, Christy. And then we have Mr. Jonathan Phillips, who's our favorite car dealer in the continental United States. And then Mr. Anthony Meyer, who is doing his very, very best to deliver all of the packages that you order online from coast to coast in his truck. I know he personally delivers FedEx packages. Uh, that's, his, that's the contract <laughs> he has. And I've been tracking because I ordered a shower head. Uh, for the camper because I traded our camper in with our buddy Rusty uh, and it shipped from California and I can see that he has made it all the way to Tejas with it. Uh, it it's in FedEx, but the, you know you get the FedEx tracking number and I assume uh, Anthony is taking it, it himself for me. So it should be here tomorrow. So Anthony should have my shower head tomorrow. I would enjoy my Amazon deliveries a whole lot more if they were delivered by Anthony in his Kenworth semi could you imagine if they all just had a little meme on the outside of them little meme sticker i feel like it would be a nice personal touch that only he could provide that's as good that's as much as you can hope for we also have merchandise you can send us an email at dakota or jeremiah at boss hog of liberty.com you can uh, also send us messages on facebook or just get a hold of us any way that you want to and we will get you hooked up with your t-shirts if you need zach you can page sleeves. him he still carries his pager or you can send him carrier pigeon is class of 87 at yahoo.com. I had a pager once. Of course did you did. <laughs> who is it from uh, GTE? Who is, who is no, your carrier? No, it wasn't even actually. It was like mine, mine. I was a sheriff's apartment explorer back in the day. and that What was that? It was like 
It was the Junior Rangers. Yeah, kind of thing, but with the Sheriff's Department. So did Harold need you at any moment? So he had to have a, a – he, te- he, so yeah, he could text you? Yeah, I Like, we worked a lot of affairs if and there's stuff. A, we would help if you get affairs. the number three, it means come now. I don't think the Sheriff's Department had him. I don't remember – I don't remember who had the number even. It was just like, yeah, I mean, know I had it. I had a pager for a minute. That was because my phone was still wired into my truck. Back in the day when your cell phone couldn't leave the vehicle, it had to be plugged in at all times. So Greg counts as back, Dakota. Well, this is my first time with Greg, as we've discussed already. Greg, meet Dakota. Dakota, meet Greg. I'm going to drink a beer. Let me know how this manly shit goes for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You gave us gifts, so this is a... We've had... Guests give us. He gave gifts. us a spoon that's got a hole in it, and I don't know <laughs> if somebody used it for meth and it's already got all the good used out of it or what. It's a there's a big hole in it. We've had guests give us gifts before, but I don't think we've ever received something so substantial in weight and its durability. <laughs> I feel like I could chuck it through the window and it would be fine. You should never need another bottle opener again. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. I'm going to take this down to our rebar plant and get it blasted and epoxy coated. <laughs> Although it would fill in, it would probably fill in all the custom lettering on it, and that would that would ruin ruin some of the adventure. I'm excited. So, I mean, it is it is definitely substantial. It is it is the best of the best. So, okay, I read through the show notes of the last time you were on which was episode number 309, if anyone wants to go listen to that before they listen to this one. Um, But also, to appease my own curiosities, I have some other questions. Okay. Some follow-up questions. (laughs) Did Dakota actually listen to the show? I was going to ask that, too. Did he listen to the show to see what questions (laughs) might have been? Or did he take the, hey, Jeremiah, I took a swing at it notes. I just and only read the show notes that I pulled out of my buttocks. I literally just of. told you the truth, which is I read the show notes <laughs> from the last time you were on. And I think my name was mentioned in the show notes at the very bottom. <laughs> <laughs> which is why you're on again. <laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to skip through some of the show notes because Jeremiah's uh, given me the floor this early on. And I have been a knife carrier my whole entire life. And one of my favorite knives to carry every day is a, it's a Spyderco knife. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got a nice brass handle. I'm really proud of it. Um, But what is, do you have knives on the table here that you brought with you? What's the difference between my Spyderco knife and your handmade hand forged knife? If I was going to be, and then let's also throw in a $6.99 pocket knife. Okay, yeah. Hey, don't let's, forget the the uh, uh, Joe Wiley gave us a knife when he was the, on the show running for office, uh, and I keep that in the truck. Or the, the blade that I have on my Leatherman. I've been carrying a Leatherman every day instead of a pocket knife for about a year. The blade is not the best quality. I've taken it apart like three times in the past year just to sharpen it. So... With a quality company like Spyderco or Benchmade or Montana Knife Company, they do what's called stock removal primarily. Um, so those knives are not forged. They get a big sheet of mostly stainless steel, especially from like Spyderco and Benchmade. All their, most all their knives are stainless. And so they get a big old sheet of stainless, 
and then they either water jet cut, uh, laser cut, or sometimes plasma cut the blanks. So okay. they get their knife with just just the metal, and then it's all one thickness. And then they have machines like surface grinders and mills and stuff like that that then puts the bevels in it and puts the holes. And most of it's done on CNC. And whereas the knives that so, I have here, so they make those the same way they're going to make the uh, the engine block for your Chevy. Yes, but it's called especially like Montana Knife Company. They do most all their grinding by hand. So there there are different levels to your mass produced knives whereas right, like yeah. your six dollar 99 cent knife from china stamped some, they're stamped or they're and then they just barely put an edge on it and say here you go and and god knows what kind of pop metal they're using for exactly the yeah i'm gonna be honest uh greg greg gave us these and they don't have any material cert so i really don't know what kind of pop metal <laughs> this is made from either If it's not commercial metals, I I I may get fired. I don't know. I'm going to risk it for well, for Greg. Just well, don't get, take it. Get me office. some rebar, and I'll make you another one. <laughs> <laughs> we could find you some rebar. And then, so whereas my knives, and it's a lot of your custom knife makers will do carbon steel, or eventually, I want to get into doing some stainless. But to do stainless, you have to have a lot more equipment. Um, but to do the carbon steel knives, like I do. I hand forge them all out. They start as a flat bar of stock. I typically start with quarter inch thick. And then I, with a hammer and a forge, I heat them up and hammer them down to shape. And then I hammer in my bevels and I hammer in the tang shape and everything's done by hand. And Spyderco and Benchmade, they make fantastic knives. But there's something about a handmade, hand-forged knife. Just like with everything else, you know? Yeah. And, and so mine are high-carbon steel. They're not stainless. So they'll get some patina on them. And so the spots that you're seeing there is from acids and from fingerprints and oils. And, the lo- and that's a newer knife. And that's when they're most susceptible to rust. The more patina it gets, the more protected it is. And so you'll get some real cool colors. And like, uh, especially with uh, hand-forged knives and stuff, then you can get into your Damascus and your uh, sand mai. And there's guys doing copper mai and just some amazing stuff with pattern welds and and stuff like that. And where you're not going to really see that from a Spyderco or a Benchmade. Yeah, right. So... Um Basically, the main difference is, is just like we said with everything else, you have really high end, you know, commercial furniture that's being made, but then you also have something that's different whenever you know the person who produced that table or something. Exactly. Right? And there's going to be more, there's going to be more character in the piece itself that is going to be removed from the process of something that's commercially made where they're trying to make it as perfect as possible. Right. right? And like in a knife maker, I always strive for perfection. I am probably 80 years before perfection, <laughs> but, but so like on this knife here, there's a spot on it that I know, but most other people would notice where, when I, where I was grinding it, the belt bit into it right there. You're not going to get that from a Spyderco or 
something right. like that. But but there's character to it. Yeah, for sure. So whenever, all right, we're going to circle back to the beginning of the notes with this section. Um, there was you guys that were talking about the coal ironworks makers market ma- makers market that is coming up in Anderson. Correct. And you're going to be a vendor at that event. I right? am. And uh, if you listen to episode number 309, then you know a little bit more about the coal ironworks. And uh, but I just want to kind of get your rundown of what the event is going to be and how it's going to be set up. So they are partnering with the Anderson Farmers Market, and they are having a maker's market on Saturday from 10 to 4. And they're, it's going to be at their facility in Anderson on Meridian Street. And But what's cool about it, so there's going to be, I believe, 13 different vendors. There's a knife maker. There's leather workers. There's flower people. There, there's so many different uh, makers. Yes, and I, and I actually have a list of some of the makers, so maybe here in a bit I'll grab my phone and I'll pull that up. But what's cool about this event also is their school is going to be open. And I know uh, Francis, who was on show 309 with me, he's going to be running people through a $5 bottle opener. So you can go there, pay them $5, and they provide the steel. And then Francis, it, it's a different style than that. Okay. You cannot it's make not that substantial. You cannot make that bottle opener in five say, minutes. This seems a little <laughs> intense. The the four bottle openers that I made I made took me four hours last night. Oh, okay, or, wow. or not four hours, two hours. I misspoke. There last night he spent nineteen man hours per bottle opener making these. <laughs> last night. Yeah, last night yes. I started at nine thirty. <laughs> But uh, so he's going to be making or helping you make a bottle opener. And I know they have a few other items as well. I'm, I don't know exactly which items, but I think there's three or four different items. Uh, the bottle opener is the least expensive, and I think it goes up to about $40. But you can actually go, and they will help you make something. And they've got a really cool school set up there where they do classes and this is kind of an open house type deal, so you can actually see what they do. It's yeah. the best opportunity to get your feet wet. Yes, and and to get the get the exposure to it because they're in December. There's a much bigger event that's much more involved. Correct. That's, um, more more of a commitment. Yes, but this it's, is it's a, a walk in, a little bit more casual, and and if it's something that sparks a flame for you, then this is the perfect time to go do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know on the notes it's there, but I set up a lot here at the Newcastle's Farmer's Market. And I talk to more moms with teenage boys that are destructive somewhat that ask me if they can come work with me or where can they learn. And this would be a great op- opportunity to take your 12, 13-year-old boy that just loves hammers and beating the crap out of stuff. Yeah, I'd, I'd looked up uh, in preparation for the show tonight. I looked up the the maker's market, and they had a twist forged bracelet that you can make. Okay, yeah. A bottle opener, and then he also had a forged and ground railroad spike knife. Okay, I I, I, I figured the knife was the was on there, but I wasn't sure. I've seen those before. They're really cool. They are. They're a great neat. starting point. Um, let's see here. So. Do you follow or have you ever watched Jimmy DeResta? Yes. Okay. And now Jimmy 
he uses Coal Iron Works products. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Really? That's really cool. He, he's actually a good friend of theirs and has been been there several times doing projects with them. And Anderson? Uh-huh. Oh, I had no you idea. would be shocked at the people that come to see them in Anderson. Their, their customer list is pretty much the who's who. Uh, for knife makers, very much so. Yeah, I, I've been watching uh, Duressa for a long time. So that would be really cool. Now, the next time he's in Anderson, if I could get him on this podcast, that would be a dream. He'll possibly be at their thing in December. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I won't tell anybody. No one. This is be a secret between me and you. It, and no, the it, it wouldn't surprise. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he was there. Wow, that's really cool, huh? Uh, yeah, I just it's it's called the Maker's Market, and his thing is you know the makers and I yep. make and everything. So I wondered if there was any kind of connection there. Well, and I know you're a fan of Forged and Fire. On the show, their presses are used, and yeah. if you'll notice, when the contestants go home probably about 75% of those contestants use their product. David Baker has a press from them. So does Jason Knight. Jason might have two. Okay. So that's really cool. They are the who's who for knife makers. Wow. Huh. That's really awesome. I had no idea. Yep. That's really cool. I'm still just trying to figure out how much steel they use in a year. Um, (laughs) A lot. Are you, are you just trying to get in and see if you can sell them? Sell to MoFab. Yeah. Interesting. The uh, I don't know if y'all want to deal with deformed rebar to start with, though. Um, <laughs> so you talked a little bit about the Henry County Farmers Market. I've seen you set up there. My wife sets up there, and uh, uh, we have friends that set up there as well. So um, just kind of there's. I know there's a lot of foot traffic that goes through there. What kind of a demand is there for products like this? Uh, it, it it comes and goes. Um, with the farmer's market here at Newcastle, it's very produce heavy and there's right. some great produce suppliers here at this market. And they so is one of those a good tomato knife. <laughs> They're all good tomato <laughs> knives. What do you mean? All, every single one of them are, <laughs> but, and, and before it was always just one half of the 1400 Plaza. Well, mm. this year they expanded to the other half and, that's caused not caused issues, but that I, I you can notice the traffic on one side to the other because a lot. I think the maker part is very new for the farmers market here in town this year, and it'll catch up. And I've I've had great weeks, but then I've had bad weeks, so it it just depends. And that's one reason why I've not been making that many knives lately. I've been really. One of my passions is cooking, especially outdoor cooking. So what I've really started doing recently is just doing a lot more like uh, fire iron sets and squirrel cooker sets and tripods and s- steak flippers. And what's a what's a squirrel cooker set? Um, He's got everything but the gun for the squirrel cook. You've got the squirrel skinning knife, and then you've got the squirrel cooking. Uh, uh, apparatus here. So he he's brought for those. This is a podcast. So I'm going to try to explain. Uh, Greg has brought in a a, a, a tripod setup. Oh, it's not a tripod. It's the uh, <laughs> so, you're going to drive you're going to drive a stake into the ground and then you're going to use this as a spit and 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 put a stretch a squirrel over. Well, it, it's called a squirrel cooker because this was a style 
way back in the 1700s of what somebody would use, and you're not always going to kill a deer. But you can find a squirrel. So this is what's called a squirrel cooker here. But the way I made it, it I also made it as a trek, what's called a trekker set. So you could put this on the outside of a backpack if you're I would it's a little heavy to go like true backcountry. But if you're staying semi local or something like that, then this would be a great set. So there's another this could be used mm, as a fire yeah. poker or whatever, but then you can also just quickly turn it into a galley pole, hang pots from or do stuff like that. So it's I try and do versatile items for outdoor cooking okay yeah that's that's really cool um what else you got over here for me to look at <laughs> could just needs we just need to do a live show from the farmer's market one year one week you know i've thought about it because like whenever audrey is set up yeah. at the farmer's market and i'm not camping then i'm usually just there hanging out with jackson as he plays around in the arts park i've been like it might like I could just walk to the studio and grab the H six and a microphone and go talk to people if I wanted to. Let's know how Audrey's sales are if you're immediately asking people questions and then they walk up to her booth. Oh no, I would walk to the other booth. <laughs> she would go to he would go to the competition and drive them away. Yeah. You know that weird guy never bothers the lady that sells cups. <laughs> yeah. That's the that's the place to go to. And then this is my fire iron set. So this is just basically a permanent galley pole. Just for larger pots, and you could do Dutch oven cooking from it, make coffee and different things like that. But you could also set it up as a small tripod. Mm. And then, oh I, wow, that's really neat. So okay. you you could set it up as a tripod as well over the fire. And now, when you set up a tripod, a, a, a tri, do you sell the chains and the rest of the rigging that somebody needs to have to do this, or what do you? What do you recommend for a complete setup? I got that. Thing I do. Right and then you've I got make a, a you, ton you've got a hook. of S hooks. Yep. And I make them all different sizes so that you can get your right height. But then a friend of mine sent me a design yesterday, actually, that I'm going to make. That's an adjustable pot holder for tripods. There's a lot of times somebody will go camping. This weekend, Zach and I are going to be in the uh, Indiana State Park System. And I think they may have three or four different fire, you know, uh, grills just inside the Indiana State Park system. Oh yeah. So you never know what you're going to get. You book a campsite, and it's like, well, the ring's too damn high. I can't, you know, you're gonna, you can't get your heat right. You can't get Correct. your level right. You can't get your heat right. So you need some adjustability when you're when yep. you're setting up. Like my tripod sets that I make come with four different hooks, and they're all different sizes. That way you can link them together, use a single one. You, you've got some adjustability. But the design that I haven't made one yet, but I'm really excited to do that because you, you don't even have to unhook anything. You can just adjust it up and down. With your tripod setup, though, there's a lot of versatility on the angle that you make the base of the yes. triangle to adjust the height based on your fire. Yes, and and my tripod set's about five feet hot, high instead of the trekker set, which is only three. Okay. So it that's a very small tripod and I make them much larger. I just ran out of stock. <laughs> also I see you have a, a meat flipper there for steaks and ribs and such. Which is pretty cool. A right handed one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. And then this one. 
there's a guy on YouTube. It's called Black Bear Forge, and I, I know, I know. I channel. watch so many of his videos, and I was scrolling back through, or actually, it popped up as a recommended video. This this looks like something you would use to kill some sort of a banshee. <laughs> it, it looks and then that twist way. it. It's an ice it's an ice pick with a with a twist. So he I, I had a recommended video of his that was called the New Mexico style fire poker. Well, I lived in New Mexico for two years. My brother's been in New Mexico for over ten. So I was like, ooh, I'm gonna watch that video. And so I watched the video, and I had never done a twist with flat bar. So twisting a square bar is really easy. You just put it in a vice, twist it, and there's different ways you can do it. But I'd never done it with flat bar, and I really liked the look. I had a tie to New Mexico. So I was like, heck, I'm going to make one of those. And so this is a New Mexico-style fire poker where they do not have the hook on the back. They're always straight, or most of them are straight. So for poking only. Poking only. No There's rolling. No, no dragging. No dragging. <laughs> they haven't caught up to the technology that we use in the Midwest and New Mexico. From the Vlad the Impaler series. Yeah. It, it looks... You can see it on the camera. It, it, it looks like a small sword. It looks medieval, Greg. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good luck flying with this. It's, but <laughs> you, were, you were talking about the Trek set that you uh-huh. have. And had mentioned, like, uh, you throw it on a backpack, but it's a little heavy. But, like, this doesn't feel Well, the Trekker set's all. not heavy either. But but the people doing, like, serious backpacking, right, if they're, you're going they're out talking, 20 miles, they're right. talking ounces. Yeah. If they can shave two ounces, they're happy. Because they're, they're doing 20 days on the Appalachian Trail or, yep. or something yeah. like that. So it, it, it's more of, like, a local or you're doing a week maybe. But it, it is too heavy for the serious, serious people. I guess I just, my mindset was not being in that serious of a mode. Yeah. Right? But yeah, well, I, as, I soon think as, that as soon as Dakota takes it up as a hobby, he'll, he'll be that serious. <laughs> oh, I can't work for September or do the show in September. I'll be, I'll be hiking from, uh, uh, oh, Vermont my, down to Pennsylvania. So, you've seen my backpacking kit. So here's the trekker set together. It's probably about, Three, four pounds. Have you used this to cook like a squirrel or small game? I have not used it that way yet. Okay. I mean, there's no reason it wouldn't work. No. But I was just curious. No. I, I don't have any game that's... I do a lot of big cooking, a lot of smoked meats. Okay. You need to talk to our friend Bash Kreider, who we were trying to get on the podcast today. He wouldn't do it. But, yeah, so... I've been, I've been in the woods my whole life. I've done this. I should have done this left-handed to start with. I am left-handed. There you go. Are you left-handed? Then you'll go through the other one. We're 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 making this go on the fly, efforting, trying to trying to demonstrate for the camera as we're as we're going along. Yeah, Greg made this for. uh, Don't be right-handed by this. Uh, He needs to make (laughs) me makes needs to make a left and a right-handed set. There you go. And then I have hooks that go with it that hang as that well. That will hang. That will that will drop down. Very good. Uh, you want to catch? I'm going to start throwing pieces at Greg, at Zach, and see if you can get out of here with my eyes. <laughs> a lot of my stuff is sharp and pokey. <laughs> yeah, it's a question did just come to me as wait, I was wait until he starts juggling these. <laughs> How delicate of a process is it? Because this uh, 
the piece that uh, the squirrel makes cooker the bridge, portion. Yeah, it's forked, right? Yes. So, how delicate of a process is it to make metal so thin and pointy like that? It gets tough. So if your forge is too hot, especially if you – I use gas, but if you're using coal, you can burn steel up really easily. And the thinner the material, the quicker it heats, the quicker it loses its heat, and you can burn it up. So the coal gets hotter than the gas? Correct. Oh, okay. But with gas, you get more area. Coal is a much smaller area, but it's also insulated. All your fire – is at the very bottom, and then there's more coal on top, so all that heat's held in. Propane or natural gas? I use propane and propane accessories. <laughs> Taste the meat, not the heat. Uh, I have another- propane on sale this weekend, by the way. At uh, I think everywhere, uh, two dollars and fifty cents a, a unit. I assume per gallon at, at the Myers at the Myers Furniture yeah. and Appliance. Really, it is. I go see. To- go get some propane. <laughs> go see my cousin Teresa. She'll be selling it. Um. I have another uh, YouTube video that I need to ask about. Well, that's that's or great, not, not great video, podcast content. But instead, a hey, uh, did a you channel. see this video from somebody else on the internet? His name's uh, Torbjorn Amon. I've seen a video or two of his. Okay, yeah, he's got a really cool channel that you should check out. It's all blacksmithing. I watch, I watch a, a lot, lot of, of blacksmithing. <laughs> I watch a lot of blacksmithing. I, I, watch, I watch cars. A lot of uh, metal casting too. Like those are the types I of videos I go to that. sleep to at night. It's just like someone making a knife or stuff like this, but there's no talking over it. Have you seen any video from Will Stelter? No, I haven't. Or Alec Steele? Alec Steele, yeah. So Will used to work for Alec, and Will was actually in Anderson this all week this week making a knife. This is crazy. I didn't know any of these (laughs) people that I watch on YouTube. Like, like, so Jimmy Duresta, I have a an ice pick from him, and I also have his uh, do-it-yourself Duresta knife, where you like you can make, like he sends you the the knife blank, mm-hmm. and then you make the handle and stuff. Yeah, I have all that. I have both of those things that I bought from Jimmy Duresta, and I like he's been to thirty minutes away from my house multiple times. It's kind of if you only knew how many celebrities drive right through Spiceland on I seventy every week. <laughs> you, I mean, all of them. Yeah. I, if, I remember seeing Neil Pert on Spiceland Pike. <laughs> that's significantly better than seventy. <laughs> he he used to visit here and ride his bike down Spiceland Pike because nobody here would knew who he was. No knew or had a clue. So. Do you see a uh, an increase, or are you anticipating an increase in, as hunting season's coming along, deer season's coming along? Very much so. You're going to see some more folks for skinning and for you know for field dressing. Yeah, I, I, I definitely need to get the ball rolling on some more hunting knives before, and then also hunting season also falls close to the holidays. Stocking and a custom stuff knife, for Christmas. Is, Christmas. It, it's perfect for the guy in your life that hunts or cooks or and. And I do hunting knives, but I'm not a big hunter. I mean, I, I'll go, but I cooking is – I love to cook. And so most of my knives are tailored that way. Like I've got a petty knife here as well as a chef's knife. And that's just what I use So, because I'll be honest, I don't even carry a knife anymore. For years, I was a pocket knife guy. But as a mechanic – I have so much other crap to put in my pockets that it was like, why carry a knife when 
I don't use it. I'd rather have a screwdriver than yep. than a knife. So you can open a box with a screwdriver too, can't you? <laughs> you would be shocked at what you can open a box with. That was my idea with why I started transferred over to the Leatherman Life instead of just a knife. Yes, you know. So tell me about the mechanic side, Greg. You've been you've been a professional mechanic type for quite some time. Quite some time. Um, and and I thought, well, heck, while well, he's going to be here on the show, uh. My favorite thing is to get mechanics to tell me, hey, what cars should people be buying and what should they be staying the hell away from? <laughs> this is and, one of my and, favorite questions. And, and when they and when they're starting to look at stuff, say, hey, oh yeah, this is this is fine. You know, this is this is the kind of thing you want to do. Uh, and this is what you want to stay the hell away from. I assume you generally steer people towards imported German cars and say this <laughs> this is what yeah, you should definitely those, buy. Those those AMG Mercedes with the hand built motors, I hear those are nice. Or, or the BMW V8s that, I, uh, with the Vanos. I just saw a great. Vi- I saw an Instagram post from a guy, and this is the perfect example. Used BMW 740iL, um, and it was like a, like a 2000s. He'd say he did the math. He's like, it's a sad day. Giving up my seven series. He's like, I did the math. It cost me a dollar forty two or dollar fifty a mile. He's like, I drive it 90 miles a day. He's like, it was costing me $150 a day to drive it. He's like, total cost of ownership for this car for him was $110,000, and he bought it used. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I can't honestly say that I could advise buying used 7 Series as your daily driver. And I drive a $300 Toyota. Yeah. <laughs> So that that is the that is the fun thing is that you take pride in having you have uh, nine colors on the Toyota that's, that's sitting outside. It's only four colors if you include the fainted paint. All right, what what should people be looking at? In all honesty, especially for a used car, it, if you're trying to save money, you don't have a bunch of money for repairs. Japanese, it that's your best bang for your buck. Um, new cars. They're, now, when you say Japanese, Subaru, Honda, Toyota? Honda, Toyota are your main two I would go with. Um, when you get Subaru, you can get into some more labor costs with the boxer engine because it's uh, instead of a V or a straight cylinder, they're opposed. So you have two sets of cylinder heads, and like you have to raise the engine up to change the spark plugs. So you can start getting into some more labor costs there, but Subaru does make a great car. We don't... What about the CVT? Okay, that's absolute garbage. CVT, but, you got to use terms... I know, I just dropped in there quick because I knew I get a continuously variable transmission. So it's like a there, gearless there, transmission. It's like a snowmobile. There's no shifting. It there's just no winds shifting. Up. And it, it, traditionally, like I don't know of anybody who's got a good one. Nissan does it as well, don't they? Everybody and, and, has had and one or Nissan is one of the most irrelevant car companies that still managed to exist. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, like uh, just I. They, it, they did just uh, bust out a new Z. I mean, they all have like one. Didn't they eliminate works. their pickup truck this week? What did they? I think so. Hang on, you guys talking about well, well, their their pickup truck that they had been selling like not that long ago was just a rebadged Dakota. Um, the uh, Frontier, though, the, the Frontier, I saw a scary video of a Frontier once getting hit by a semi in Russia, and it exploded. There was nothing left. But they hadn't done anything with the Frontier in like a decade. 
Well, the, the thing about cars now, so everybody says, oh, they don't make them like they used to. They don't make oh, they them, make like them they better used to. than they used to. Exactly. But people don't realize that. And, like, you'll see a not that serious looking accident, and the car looks like a big pile of metal. Well, it looks like a big pile of metal because they've designed it to crumple around you and not through you. Energy transfer. Exactly. I, yeah. I think that mechanically, cars are better than they were have been ever but the thing that i would say is that it's all the other stuff that's gonna like it's the electronics like yeah it's all like when my brother had an 80s cadillac that had dual zone climate controls it had all this automatic stuff and that's the stuff that started failing it was from the 80s but whatever but that's the stuff that started failing the motor was going to run forever the motor was a real the motor was a 5.7 liter v8 diesel oh yeah in a gm they they glow plugged it and pumped diesel. In I think there. when people talk about they don't make cars like they used to, it's the thing of I had a 1994 Jeep Wrangler when I was in high school, and when I was in high school, I could open it. I I did so much to that Jeep as far as working on it with a my very limited and basic mechanical knowledge, but it was all there. Right, and it was easy to look at and easy to see. But whenever I open up the hood of my 2012 truck or my wife's 2017 GMC, it's like there's so much going on that it's overwhelming and confusing. You can't even see the engine in some cars now. You pop the hood, and there's a cover, and there's so much stuff piled in around them. They're packaged so tight that you're like, I don't even know where to start to look at this. The right. Nissan Titan is eliminated as of the summer of 2024. So you got one year left with the Titan oh, and it's no going one, away. And, and, and you, oh, do you know the only reason anybody cares about Nissan Titans? The baby, Cummins engine? Baby Cummins, yeah. They, have, so, they, they sell a baby Cummins in those. They're going to take the... Uh, but that was actually a garbage motor. Thanks, Obama. They're going to take <laughs> this uh, th- this plant by 2030. Nissan Ambition 2030 is an all-electrified future. Uh, so the Canton, Mississippi plant will be an EV plant. Because they have a couple. They have the Aria, they have the Leaf. They have a couple EVs. Well, the the thing with – I actually like electric cars. I find them fascinating. Wouldn't mind having one. But the mandate stuff, it's not going to hold up. California's already reversed their decision for the 2035 deal right. because there, there just isn't the infrastructure. Yeah, California's yet. like, hey – you all ha- need to have electric cars by 2035, but also we've got to shut off the power to half the state because the weather's too hot. Yeah, so it, 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 people are quickly learning that that's – will it happen eventually? Probably. Well, maybe. There's a lot going on with alternative fuels that I think could very well replace – Right. Electric, Hydrogen but, has been like really sneaking up, it seems. Porsche, eh. Porsche's been developing like yeah, basically bi- biogas, yeah. like developing bi- like bi- re- renewable gasoline replacements. They're so at the that, cutting edge of so the that you're not, fuels. So is that it? you can maintain ICE, internal combustion engine development and stuff like that and keep with those because they understand. I think they, all the big companies understand like, I mean, there's an irony to people that are like, Oh, it's about saving the planet. You're replacing fossil fuels with heavy metals as to what you're pulling and out of the ground. Fossil fuels. Like, and also fossil fuels. Yeah, still there's still fossil fuel. Vehicle is but, a coal powered vehicle. But, but like apparently electric vehicles are I don't know one. I don't know. I like to ride one. So if anybody has a hookup on like a plaid, I would just like right. to ride in it just to plaid be nauseated. Just to be able just to be I just want to be nauseated because I hear that they are 
nauseatingly fast, but apparently they are real cheap to run. And then not to put Greg out of business, but there's like nothing to break on. There's no, mo- there's no, almost no moving parts. Like, it's, Oh, I bet if we put them on the Indiana roads, they're still going to need. Uh, sus- okay. But they have suspension <laughs> tires and brakes, but once you're inside that, there's our, our nothing. Specialties. There's nothing. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. Just get it. Just get into the wheel straightening business in Indiana and you'll be fine. Um, I was on a bus last weekend and I could tell when I entered the state of Indiana. Um, yeah, there's less moving parts to right? You people aren't worried about oil changes and all the other stuff. You've, you refuel it at home at night, so you don't have to go to gas stations and stuff. But well, think, actually, the electric vehicles have fluids. Some, yeah, because some of them they heat and cool the batteries Correct. as needed. And there's oils and there's brake fluid. Brake fluid. There, there's still quite mm. a bit. But now, Greg, do you guys have washer fluid or washer fluid down there? Washer. Washer fluid. What yes. About, what about blinker fluid? Do you have blinker fluid? Uh, I think that's an aisle four at O'Reilly's. Yeah. So you were talking about. Do you have to take the wheel off to change a brake uh, a brake light in a in, a, in an EV car? Very possible. <laughs> you were so, talking about the Japanese vehicles. You're a fan of Toyotas. There's a lot. Toyota has seemed to, in my lifetime, really sneak up and just grab the car industry by the balls. World's largest <laughs> automaker now. Because the car's the same since 1982. Okay. <laughs> Toyota uh, Tacomas just got rear disc brakes, like in the last year. They were still uh, yeah, they running. Were they brakes. were still running drums on the backs. What you could lift up my 1996 Toyota Forerunner, yeah, and lift up a brand new Tacoma or Forerunner right next to it. The same. They look identical underneath. And and that's what's good about Toyota. They've been making the same product. It it, it looks different. They've updated materials because like a 90s Toyota did have frame problems. The frames would rust out, and that was real common on them. So they've updated materials and learned from their mistakes, but really they're the same car. They've just perfected it. So they last forever. If we sell a vehicle in the United States, I think we expect it to perform anywhere you're at. And we have such a diverse country that if you buy a vehicle and you expect it to last 25 years and you live in the Northeast, if you live in New York State, if you live in Pennsylvania or New Jersey, you're at eight to nine years, a pickup truck is done. Where if you keep it, you know, in a non salt environment, you're down in Alabama, you're fine. Uh, I, I think we have different views as to how long we expect cars to go and what we expect, what the useful life of the vehicle is. Yes, and with the newer cars, they are made better. There's a certain car company, <laughs> Dodge, that uh, is really trying to put independent shops out of business. And there is legislation being worked on called the right to repair and yeah. and some of the new companies are making their vehicles so that they have a time limit on them, like uh, the twenty like uh, twenty fifteen Chevy trucks no longer have wireless connectivity because they were using one G and that's been phased out. So, and then like uh, with Dodge, they came up with this R one two three four refrigerant that you have to buy a fifteen thousand dollar machine in order to uh, service an AC system. And little shops like the one I work for, we can't 
we can't buy a fifteen thousand dollar machine. That's never going to quality. It's never going to. Well, maybe in Newcastle it would. For I was say, this might be the town. All of work. the Dodges, but <laughs> you know, you you you're not going to buy a fifteen thousand dollar machine to take care of twelve customers. No, you're not going to have enough. No, and and like Dodge has also made it so our Snap-on scan tool that a s- small shop would have, we cannot talk to anything newer than a 2018 without purchasing a subscription from Dodge in order to scan that vehicle. So the the automakers are trying to pull Is this all Dodge the service or Ram or all of Chrysler Stellantis Stellantis. Okay, it, they're, it, they're putting walls up to force you back into their correct. into their network. Yes, which. Sure. Okay, makes sense on one front, but on the other front, when you when you have an economic downturn, and we, you know, this town when we were kids had two GM dealerships. Yeah. Now, if you want to go to a GM shop, you're driving twenty to twenty five miles in any direction to get to a GM repair facility. And Anderson or Richmond are the closest ones. I would say that you give it ten, fifteen more years. I bet our Dodge dealer would str- was going to eventually struggle as the people. We have a Dodge dealer because we had a Dodge plant, and there are still people that are retirees or worked for a certain amount of time, whatever, and might still have how they might have a green slip still. But as those people are starting to pass away, families move out of town. I bet our Dodge dealer is going to struggle to stay open as well because there just won't be the people that are loyal to Dodge that want to buy their Dodges here. I haven't found a good eagle in many years. It's been a long time <laughs> since I've been able to find an eagle. Most or listeners won't even know what that is. <laughs> well, in like our Dakota, Dodge, an Eagle was a car. Well, it was really a Mitsubishi. <laughs> well, some no, of it was a, there was the one that was the Intrepid. Yeah, the, the Intrepid, the, the Intrepid based the, one. The, the Vision. There was the there were two. The, the Vision and the Talon. I think the Talon was a Mitsubishi. Yeah, that but, was. A, but the the Vision was the, uh, the the Chrysler Concorde. Oh, I hate working on those. <laughs> I know some. Yeah, I know somebody with one. Concords right. were sweet when they were but there. so so back to our conversation of vehicles to buy or not to buy. I'm a huge GM person. Uh, the only vehicle I own that's not a GM product is my Toyota. Is the one you drive every yeah. day. And and so I I absolutely love GM. But from any Equinox, any Traverse, any Acadia, they are garbage. They're little four cylinder. Well, it even, Powertrain. even the six cylinder. Or the six, yeah. Three, the three six is actually liter. worse. It's a 3.6 yeah. liter. It's actually worse than the four, uh, the four cylinder. Because a four cylinder, all you have when the timing chain jumps, which it will, you can buy a head and you're back in business. And it gets a lot more expensive with that V6. And it jumped. I, they're just not good. We may be talking later because uh, <laughs> I own a 2017 GMC Acadia with that's a, a better six liter. That that's a better year. Okay, my my, my 2011 <laughs> you had me a little worried. Our 2011 Enclave. I just pushed down the hill into the back pasture the other day. So <laughs> after putting three cylinder heads on it, I was done. <laughs> it's over. It's over. Let it go rot. You can only see the tops of the pistons of a vehicle so many times, not by choice, before you get upset, probably. Correct. Uh, I've never I mean, gotten that far into a car. Japanese vehicles, we were talking before the show, my grandma has a Suzuki that's about to hit 200,000 miles. I, th- I think hers is like 178, but yes. Yeah, it's uh, substantial. It, and and it's still a good vehicle. Is that a lot of miles, Zach? 
<laughs> not in my family. It's not my mine either. But and and her You've car had to still do a looked, lot of work to it. I know. I, I have, but it's not been anything crazy. The biggest thing we had to do was fix some rust on a cross member. Right. Everything else has been like it, she was actually just in earlier this week to get rear Brake brakes pads. put on. Yeah. What's the lowest mileage of in your fleet, Zach? Uh, the Mazda. It's got two hundred, almost two hundred twelve. And, oh my God. and your highest mileage vehicle? <laughs> the Excursion's got like 371. I bought it with 364. Yeah. He's got me beat. The, the Excursion, though. The Excursion was a cheat code. I yeah. bought it with 364. Yeah. But it knocked me over. So my cumulative, I have four vehicles. And combined, I have over a million miles all across the four. Everything's got 200,000 miles. Me as well. Yeah. Got I have 92 Dakota. Engine swap, though. Doesn't really count. Although it was running when I pulled the V6 out. And then you had the Mazda. And it's a 2010 Mazda 3. And then I have a 2005 Tahoe, which is on the list of vehicles to own. I, I think you had that when I met you. I've had 15 it since, or 16. I've had it since 07. Zach has never sold a car. I've only got rid of, yeah, I technically have <laughs> gotten rid of two. One I never actually held the title to. One was a 72 Chevy that was a real piece that was given to me, a bill. It was an insurance bill. And then, um, my wife had a 2001 Volkswagen TDI uh, Beetle with a stick. How many miles a, did that end up having? 238,000. Okay. was still running fine. It got electrical, like you t- the electrical demons. Oh, it started terrible. to burn through ignition switches. And when it, it, when it burned through ignition switches, I get up in the morning. I didn't have headlights, a defroster, or um, turn signals or something like that, and, or wipers. And I would get up in the morning and be ran. So that's when I finally bailed on it. But yeah, that's the only vehicle. I've, and it wasn't mine either. It was my wife's. But yeah. So my expectations for how long a vehicle should last are incredibly hard to <laughs> hold up to. Well, and, and Zach you mentioned doesn't know t- how to trade a car in. <laughs> no, I don't know. I can, I've only bought. I think I'm a weird, I'm weird for being a car guy. And I've only, I'm averaging a, a new car every, every decade. Of my life, I bought four cars in forty years, and like I talked to other people, like I'm on my forty one, forty first car. I'm like, that's not me. I'm, I'm, not I'm probably guy. up in the forties. Yeah, I'm, I'm weird that way. I'm gonna work on a list. You guys talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I have like two columns. I have my cars and I have company cars, and then at some point they, it's impossible. This is this will be fun. So someone buys a brand new used car, Greg. What is uh, what are your Top five things, I guess, to do to try to get their most out of it. So the first thing they do, and nobody ever does it, take the vehicle to your local mechanic and have them look at it. Here's the keyword before, before you purchase it, before you buy, before you buy it. And, and we'll do it happily. And we charge 45 bucks typically to check out a vehicle. Now, you might not end up buying that vehicle, but we could also save you thousands of dollars. Cause, and a lot of people are like, Oh, I bought this used car and it's a piece of crap. I'm going to do lemon law. Lemon law only, only on new up, cars only applies to new vehicles. And a lot of people don't realize stuff like that. Like we, the, the, if you buy a used car and you don't get it inspected by a trusted mechanic before, I feel bad for you. But at the same time, it's like, all you had to do was call. I'm at eleven. Nine that I've that have been mine and then two company cars. I almost own that many right now. 
<laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but once you push them down the hill, Greg, I don't think it counts anymore. I, think I, my, I, think I my, only have two down the hill right now. I think now. my brother at one point owned that many motorcycles at one time. But yeah, I don't guys don't buy stuff. Jared's a different breed, though. I try to. I I do though. Like I, um, I'm a huge people listen. I'm a huge car guy, and I like everything. I like a little bit. Like I'm, I I can admire and appreciate almost anything. And there's some vehicles that I tell people like. Uh, Jeremiah's father-in-law just got rid of, in my opinion, one of the greatest cars ever designed. He had a first-gen Lexus LS 400. Fantastic. It's a Toyota product. Fantastic. But it's vehicle. also a Toyota product that's on another level of even being above and beyond a normal Toyota product. Yes. They do have some issues as they get older. I think one of the biggest, one of the weirdest things is that it's like the power steering pump uses like brake fluid or something, or the brake reservoir uses. There's a, a fluid that is not what you think goes into a reservoir. So, some of the Lexus products use mineral spirits. Or some, and it causes leak issues, whatever. I'm also a big Land Cruiser fan, even though I never even sat in one before. I've sat in one, and big. they're amazing. And I've talked to a friend up about Land Cruisers, and he's just like, yeah. And then he got into one that had like 200,000 miles on it and was like 20 years old. And he's like, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs> and it was 20 years old. So so the advice is if you're going to buy a used car, bring get, it to a local shop. Get inspected before get, you buy get it. Get somebody to look at it and don't think, oh, I can just look at it myself because you, you don't have a lift. Correct. You're not going to get it up. You, you're not, you're not going to look at the frame and actually know what the hell you're looking at to see if it's rotted out in trash or if it's the suspension is bent or well, if it we, needs if it's got major leaks from areas that matter and you know what to look for exactly. on, like, on a particular model. We, we had a lo- uh, customer come in uh, – I guess it was probably Monday or Tuesday that they were looking at an FJ Cruiser, which is a fantastic vehicle. I love those cars. But they brought it to us before they bought it, and it had frame issues. And so they didn't purchase the vehicle because that year FJ did have frame issues. That's about the only problem they had. But if, and they, it was two ladies that brought it in and they had no idea. So assuming you, you, you find the used car you want and you want to get to Zach Burcham level. All my cars are 200,000 miles on them. Buy Tahoes and Chevy Silverados. <laughs> That's the advice. Is buy, <laughs> with, buy full size with 5.3, with 5.3 liter mid, V8. Body on frame vehicles. Six liters probably aren't too bad either. Mid 2000 Chevrolets are the best products ever made. You go, go get a Chevy that doesn't have active fuel management. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, which is like pre 07. Yeah. Well, 99 to 07 classic. You could get an 07. With the old body style, yeah. I'll, one thing too is like I have a friend that's really so, so the, re- the official recommendation is go buy a twenty year old Chevy. Yes, <laughs> I know, I'm being honest. If you look up, uh, there's a guy that has a YouTube channel and he also shows up on um, I'm trying to think uh, Tyler Hoover's yes um, thing the car the, <laughs> the, the car, car wizard. wizard and he does a video and there's another guy watching our video and they will both pound away at mid 2000s Chevys. I'm like, well, I, I ended up with one when they were in the midst of it and they're cheap, pretty cheap to work on, pretty easy to work on. And there are millions of them, millions of them still out there. And so there's parts really available. You can like our, even we're in a Dodge town and it's becoming less and less Dodge every year, but it's very rare that I need a part for it that I don't check advanced auto parts and they've already got it in stock. Like it's just sitting there. There's there's one issue with mid two thousand Chevys, and that was the brake line material that they used was horrible. So bad so that 
you can still buy a pre-bent coated line kit from Chevy. And you can also buy one from the auto parts store that's made of stainless steel. And I've probably done 150 sets of brake line kits. Getting to the rears. What's that? Is it to the rear? Or it's the whole? It's all of the I think I've, I've just, oh, two years ago, I had all the brake lines replaced on mine. Because it blew one, and he was like, took it in there. He's like, yeah, you got like four holes in your brake lines. So and it's a rust belt truck. But so, yeah, I've done that. Been through that. That's the, that's like the one thing with them. It's they last forever. So the advice isn't to change your fluids. It's just buy a Chevy. Yes. <laughs> it, well, even on used vehicles, and he might have an opinion on this. If sometimes they'll tell you like change the oil. Like I I bought the excursion. And I could ask how many how long it been since an oil change. I still went ahead and did one just so I could go through. I'd never done a diesel oil change, but. If you buy a vehicle that's got a bunch of miles on it, and I know transmission specifically, they'll sometimes tell you if it's not acting up and you don't know when the transmission was last serviced, don't jump on doing it because sometimes it's being held together by the very gunk that's been left in there. And if you, especially if you do a flush, sometimes they'll say at, at, at the most, drop the pan, change the filter, and replace whatever fluid was in the pan because if you flush it, then it might just go because you just washed away everything that was holding it together. I've read that about yes. like the liquid Molly engine flush, where it's like yeah. <clears throat> if your vehicle is over ten years old, like then uh, flushing the engine with a detergent like liquid Molly, then you're going to Delete. like. There's a chance you might get a leak somewhere. What? Well, you could get a leak somewhere, but and actually, like back to the cars that absolutely suck. Liquid Molly is a good idea on those because what kills those cars is deposits and oil passages for the variable valve timing. Mm. That's what kills all those. Well, that and they ha- already have oil consumption issues. So if you run them low on oil, they will also explode. Keep change oil. That's that legitimately well, keep your keep your oil current and and actually know what the level is. More than that though, too, because it to go to a trusted shop like like Dakota's grandma brings her car. To us for everything. And we do services the old way. So the owner, Bryson Jeff, Jeff, has owned service stations back when gas stations had mechanics at them. Uh, his dad owned one. He owned one. And when we do an oil change, we check your front end. We check your rear end. We grease every single joint that has a grease cert. We take WD-40 and we lubricate your doors, your latches, we check every fluid in the vehicle. We check every light. Not all shops do that. And like, if you change your oil at home, like when I was growing up, you got under the car, you drain the oil, you change the filter, you put oil in it, you're done. done. A true service is going to make your vehicle last much longer. Because you've got eyes on a bunch of other things. Well, that and like product or Parts that are on new cars now are not greasable. But as soon as you change that part, typically they have grease certs in them, and that's to prolong the life of that part. And if you don't grease it, that part's not going to last nearly as long as the factory one because the factory one was meant to not be greased. The part you put on it is meant to be greased, and it's not getting greased. That's interesting. I changed the oil. This is the most – I have no Kentucky blood in my life. But I've I've adopted it as I've been a Hoosier. Um, changed my own oil in the 
in the Sierra that's out front, the diesel. Uh, first, this is the second oil change I've done. The first one I did, it's zero W20 diesel fluid, diesel oil. It's the thinnest thing I've ever touched in my life. So I did it in my driveway and I set up a bunch of cardboard. And it wasn't enough. It's still, I drained the oil completely. And what came out of it, when I pulled the filter, it was, it was an oil avalanche, completely covered my arm, completely covered the cardboard. And I have an oil spot that's been on my driveway since the last oil change. So I said, I'm going to get smarter than this. So I pulled it, I pulled the ramps out and I did it in the front yard in the grass this time. <laughs> so, so do you have a dead spot of grass? I, not yet. Uh, I did much better. I did uh, much better this time. The technique was was improved because we used a, a big old gallon bag uh, as well to try to catch the uh, catch the oil coming out of the uh, out of the filter. Was uh, it unbelievably black? Yeah, but you know, I think anytime you have diesel, it it's going to be that way. I know that's just shocking. Like my work truck being a diesel, like uh, when I I've checked the engine oil on it, and it's like, my God, this was just changed. Like not long ago, well, the oil that's it in it right now has probably four hundred miles on it. We could go look at it, and it's probably already completely turned. So, I had a customer's truck years and years and years ago. It was an LB7, so the early Duramaxes that had all the injector problems. I went to go change this guy's oil, and it had been seventy five hundred miles according to a sticker. I checked the oil first, and it looked brand new. 7,500, and I even called him. I said, hey, Tony, did you just change your oil? I thought I was supposed to do it. He goes, oh, no, you were the last one that did it. (laughs) And then I've had other trucks that you could start it up, shut it off. And it changed color. And it's already black. Yeah. (laughs) It's just that different from, like, truck to truck. There is nothing wrong with the other one. There's no mileage now. They don't give you a mileage when you buy a new one. The service life is just, I just follow the computer. Whatever the hell it says, just do that. Yeah, Matajo has that. Like, and it it varies. Like, it's and it's an 05. It varies from like I think the because I try and look. I keep it's got two trips, and the second trip is oil change. It's like forty five hundred to I think it's gone as far as like sixty five hundred miles on because it, it uses algorithms based on temperatures and load and all the other stuff to determine what it needs an oil change. New stuff's probably even better at that than it is now. If they buy a knife, will you personally change the oil? No, I do not do oil changes anymore. <laughs> One thing that was, if you're looking at a vehicle, Google it. Yes. And if you're really into it, YouTube go find it. a Facebook group too. YouTube, YouTube's great. Facebook groups, you can find out. I'm like, I've owned an excursion for less than a year, and I can tell you about all kinds of problems, all the nicknames, all the this and that, and like where the problem issues are. Because if you get in a group, and that might be a weird one because there's a diehard group, but Jeremiah's got a group of three-liter diesel Sierra owners, and there's some hilarity in those groups too. But you can learn a lot from people who own them and are enthusiasts for them because they'll a lot of times be honest. They're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this. What do I need to look at? And on an excursion, you need to look at rockers. You need to look at potential oil leaks on the top side or whatever. Rusty rockers are the biggest thing. And then they're just like, you know, give it a good looking over and mileage is – Depending on what the motor is like, and eh, mileage doesn't matter as long as it's running well and it looks like it's been, ma- it's, it shows the signs of being maintained. It's not a problem, but, but yeah, the internet is your friend because you can look up and figure out, you can get a rundown probably on one page. It tells you everything that's chronically wrong with an older, especially if it's older, it's got a history. Everybody will know what the problems are. So Google can be your friend, but there's a lot of idiots on the internet. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a friend that just loves to point. Just anytime I have a problem with a car, he's like, oh, look, Google told me that you're going to have this problem. I was like, I hate you, man. Well, and as a professional mechanic as well, how many times somebody said, well, I Googled it, and this is what's wrong. And it's like, I can already tell you that, no, I already know what's wrong with it just from your description. And you... And the, well, Google, and, I, and then I'll be like, "Here's what's wrong with your vehicle." Well, Google said it was this, and it's like, "Well, well you're counting you're counting on people being able to accurately describe their problem to Google it then to get an accurate response." That that too, but like one of the biggest noises that a car will make is from the stabilizer links, and it's so obvious to me when that's what the issue is. I can hear it immediately I, I don't even have to get the car all the way around the shop before i can tell if a stab link's bad or not and they'll be like it's my struts it's my it's like oh no it's a stab link not a big deal well no you're wrong they're cheap like sway bar in links yeah that's yeah, it those are cheap yeah 20 bucks throw throw any parts that i need um and they will and i've had them go bad on a car and it makes them sound it sounds like you've got coke can with rocks in it under the car Oh, it's the worst noise. And it makes this, but only at certain times. It's like kind of like when you hit a certain bump a certain way. Yeah. They're fun. All right. Before we uh, run out of time and Dakota falls asleep on me. Jeremiah, I want to know about when you went hunting for the Secretary of State for the state of Indiana. (laughs) So we. Not with a hunting knife, correct? (laughs) No, with a, uh, with a coupon for a free lunch. Uh, Betsy Mills was our guest uh, earlier this month, and she said, hey, we'd love to have you join us for the uh, annual GOP uh, bratwurst cookout extravaganza on the courthouse lawn. And I always called it hot dogs with Diego because Diego Morales, uh, the last couple of years, he would show up and he would eat a bratwurst or whatever the hell it was. And there'd be a big picture of Diego eating at the uh, eating in Newcastle. So I'm like, I'm going to finally get to meet Diego Morales if I go to this. And I show up, and he's not there. I was he, the first time he's elected Secretary of State, and the man is not there. I was so excited, I was ready to meet Diego, and it didn't happen. So that was my that was my first disappointment. Otherwise, it was a lovely time. I had a great time. Uh, Betsy gave me a ticket. It was great. Brian Nichols came down with me uh, as you know a noted libertarian in town. They were very welcoming to me. Uh, had my picture made with uh, Councilman Aaron Dickin. I was going to say the pictures shirt. I've seen of this event so far in the pictures. There haven't been that many pictures out. I've seen one Libertarian, one Republican, and one Democrat. Yeah, yep. So and I, I, I just got my food. I sat down with Brian Nichols, and I don't think Brian knew quite what happened because I was just in conversation after conversation. Because everybody that's uh, that's there has been through the show. So I'm, I had I I sat down, and Ed Tarantino sat down. And he, you know, we talked for a little while, and. Uh, and then, you know, other council members or commissioners would come by and then Representative Saunders came by and we sat down and talked for a good uh, good 45 minutes and ate lunch together. So had a great time. Uh, I don't know if I really accomplished a whole lot. Uh, but uh, other than other than not meeting Diego Morales, it was it was really a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. Were the brats good? They were excellent uh, and even better. Brats, yes, could uh, you know? You know, a fine Wisconsin treat. I would do just fine living in Wisconsin if I had to. But uh, they had grilled sweet corn from Ellen K. Uh, so that was that was the, the best, best part. way to prepare corn. Yes, yeah, they had they had the sweet corn, and I was like, man, this is perfect because I really hadn't had any fresh off the cob. We bought it, 
we've cut it off and we've put it in the, you know, we've frozen it or whatever for the summer, but just getting the straight up sweet corn off the cob, that was, that would, that made, you know, the disappointment of not meeting Diego go away. No, I never made it. Two weekends of the state fair. I was in South Dakota. Did Mm. you go to the Moreland state fair? It's it's the, it's the (laughs) The Moreland world's fair, Greg. (laughs) Here's the thing. If you've, if you've run for office as many times as I have, and you have volunteered and oh, worked in a concession yeah. stand as many times as I have Moreland for twenty some years at the at a 4-H fair or gone out and politicked at the Moreland State World's Fair uh, East. The <laughs> I don't need to go back to another fair in my life. <laughs> I've, I'm good unless unless I have a specific reason to go. If I were you, I'd just I'm go. Fine. The truck pulls. Yeah. yeah. So you know what the problem is? What night's the good truck pull? I'd never know. Thursday. Well, we're here. Sometimes <laughs> it's not. That's I like to watch people break their dad's stuff, and that's Thursday <laughs> night. I was I was not poisoned. It was fine. They welcomed me with open arms, and I and I was very appreciative of the invite. So it was it was a good time. Um, I don't know if the Democrats have a have a fundraiser or not. It, I, I've never. They been should have just all showed up to the Republican one. And just I said, mean, the mayor was there too. Yeah. Mayor, you I mean, came like, through I'll, to get on a, a. And Mike Guffey was there. Mike Guffey was very quick to offer to buy me lunch, but somebody already had. But it yeah. meant, you know, it was, it was, it was great that a, uh, you know, to that, hop all, quickly on and quickly off a soapbox as we get into campaign season that's coming up is because locally, party. This is your final thought. Honestly, thought starting doesn't matter. Like you're socializing everybody because we all know these people. They're nice people. Most of them, I think there's a, there's a hand, there's a handful of people, but I don't sudden, but I don't label act. these people due to their party. I label these people due to the way that they've either treated me or people I know, or whatever. But yeah, like locally, that kind of event's gonna be fun because all those people get along. Ultimately, I'm yeah, done with true. my soapbox for the minute. All right, anything else? Uh, final thoughts? Uh, Where can we come watch uh, watch your kids run? This weekend, uh, well, they're up at Indiana Wesleyan at the Marion Invitational this weekend, and then probably for most people, is it really an invitational? If you, I mean, if you if you know you're going, did you have to get invited by Marion? I have no idea how any of that works. Honestly, I I really don't know what I'm doing. Like the <laughs> I, the funniest experience uh, for people at Jeff Watterson is the head coach of the Newcastle Woo. cross country. So former. Uh, guest of the show a couple of times and he might have an experience coming up that will be worthy of him coming back on the show. Um, he gets wrangled into coaching. Um, he's like, Hey, I need help. I'm like, Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. And that doesn't matter. So we, we got, and then our other friend, Casey Carmichael, who's a try high guy. Um, he also, we used to run, we used, we've run literally thousands of miles together. He's the assistant coach of some form or fashion, a try. So the three of us are together in Rushville None of us are actually running, except we do run. You do run quite a bit spectating cross-country, but somehow we are in charge of the youths, as I say. And my wife says there's something very wrong with us being in charge of children. And, 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 uh, and Jeremiah, a professional. Jeremiah has witnessed that, like, for Newcastle, we literally just go running across town in the middle. And, like, I try to keep an eye on some of the kids, but I can't keep up with all of them, and they don't all run in a group. They have individual paces, so we're crossing intersections. We're doing all kinds of stuff. It is the most terrifying thing to me. Yeah. 
And like we, one kid got lost one day. I don't know how he got lost in Newcastle. It's not that big of a town, but you get lost. So we're like, oh gosh, where did this kid go? Are you on one of the lettered streets, kid? Are you okay? <laughs> That's exactly where he got lost. <laughs> he got it was legit. Yeah, so he got lost in the alphabet letters. So, so Cuba yeah. came Parkview. I have no idea where I am. But then a week from this upcoming Tuesday is our home invitational, which is our only other weeknight invitational. Weeknight invitations are rough. We they had to meet. Tuesday that lasted, they got home like nine thirty, and these poor kids had to do homework and stuff. So, but otherwise, I'm a lot of Connorsville and some Shelbyville. I think is most of the end of it. We have one meet in Terre Haute, but Newcastle on the whatever the ninth or something like that. All right, one more time, Greg, for being a part of the Makers event, or you're coming to, to the uh, Makers market event market on Saturday. So it is in downtown Anderson. I believe it's Fifth and Meridian at at the Coal uh, School of Iron or Coal Iron Works. And the Anderson Farmer's Market, I believe, will be there as well. Um, There's lots of makers. Come check them out. Come check me out. Come make something at the Coal School. Very good. Get your bottle opener. D-squared. Just wanted to say thank you to Greg for coming on. This is a a fun episode for me. And thanks for the bottle opener, man. I really appreciate it. I might have to, you know, I set a squirrel trap last night, so <laughs> I might be knocking on your door here soon. That's all. When you kill a squirrel and you put it away, do you uh, do you, do you freeze it in a in a milk I don't jug? Freeze them; they're they're it, gone instantly. Gone instantly. You only eat fresh squirrel meat, never frozen. I've frozen it before, but like it's. What if you have a real big day? Could you get enough squirrel to run it through a meat grinder and make like squirrel squirrel burgers? Probably never done that. I've cooked it in crock pots like uh, pulling pork before when you have a lot. I mean, you're. It's tedious. Like, you. The no best. kidding. Like, if it. You got one squirrel, just what, chop the back legs off, you fry those up in a pan, and you're done. What kind like, of genocide event does it take to fill a crock pot of squirrels? <laughs> Seven is your tedious, limit, okay? Tedious does not begin to explain. I'm just picturing a crock pot full of squirrel carcasses, and I'm like, this is probably the kind of thing that if squirrels had language, they would be telling the story of this horrendous day. We're like a huge population. Just the battle with the Dakota yes, Davis. He only left two survivors to tell the story. It's like some Lord of the Rings saga about the day that the bearded one came and took half their family away. We have, I have Super Bowl a, Sunday at Dakota's is just squirrel stew. Like since I like with my dad and like my fresh, probably my freshman year of high school. All right, final. It was just laying waste, going into the woods and just shotgun blast. Final thought for me here. Um, I I know you guys have started to grow weary of road construction, um, but it's an understatement. But September, the week of September 11th, uh, get ready. Uh, State Road 3 and I-70 are going to have uh, the interchange rebuilt. Oh, uh, no. So the, that week, the uh, the ramps we'll never forget. The ramps are going to be shut down uh, for about three days each. So each direction. If, if you're trying to go to Indy or, God forbid, return home from Indianapolis, uh, there's going to be about a three-day section there. Uh, eastbound on and off ramps will be closed from the 11th to the 13th. And the 14th through the 16th, uh, westbound on and off ramps are going to be shut down. Uh, and then your orange barrels are coming back from State Road Three back to uh, back to Walmart Road. So are they going to ever good luck resurface three like they promised in April? I don't. You should contact your state legislator and ask him. Hey Corey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, uh, just a word of advice: 
if you are in a construction zone, slow down. Uh, there are cameras coming. The, gov- the governor signed a bill this year. Up to four construction zones in the state of Indiana are going to be allowed at any one time to have a camera set up that's going to catch your license plate and detect you. Uh, and you're going to get a, a ticket in the mail saying, hey, you were speeding. You're going to get 11 miles an hour, and past that, you're going to get a ticket. First one's a warning, second one, 25 bucks, and it's just going to get punitive from there. So if you are, if it says 50, set that speed limit to 60 and don't go past it, or else it's going to be... It, I, I heard today that they, had, they did a test on 465, and in just a couple hours in the test, they were like... Guys, we had to damn near turn the computer off. It was melting the wires. Like four thousand tickets in no time, and they had people doing six digits or six, you know, like a hundred and some miles an hour through the construction zone. They'll be able to pay for that road construction in no time. I don't think the money's a problem. It legitimately is a safety deal. Uh, now, but now will they have warnings? Oh, they're, yeah, they're going to have. I think there's going to be a big public relations campaign ahead of time. Warning folks that hey, this is coming or whatever. If they but it's kind of well, gone I'm under saying, the radar. I'm if saying per yeah. I had, I've need heard a, nothing. They of need this. a sign up though that says speed being enforced by camera. Honestly, yeah. almost mailing, like the airplane mailing signs. out eight hundred thousand tickets, right. or whatever. Yeah. That's great, but that did nothing to make that construction zone safer. Well, that point is is that I think if, if it catches the commuter class for a week or two, and they slow down I seventy in Greenfield for you know they they do it there for a week. And then they take the equipment and they move it to I-65 or they move it to 465. I think their intention is is that they're going to be capped out at four you know four sites in the state, but they might move it around. So there might be one or two of them down in Louisville, one or two up in you know Chesterton, you know the region, so you're and a couple in central, a and a couple in central Indiana. But they're going to be mobile, so they can just set it up for a couple of days and ding you, you and then what. and then that people learn their lesson and they run away. I'm in a commuter group, man. We'll find a way. I don't, honestly, we don't. I don't. I do not drive. I try not to drive recklessly. I did. I, I did not. I was not lying. I followed a state policeman all the way home uh, y- yesterday. Yeah, yesterday, and he was doing 68 and 55 in a construction zone. Don't. Uh, that, that's my issue in construction zones. I try to follow the speed yeah. limit, but a lot of times you can't. Yeah. yeah, they they. they I've griped before about construction zones in the state. And I hope <laughs> just, that they get. I hope they get better under control. But like, I'm just telling you, don't loan your car out because if it's registered to you, the ticket's coming to your house. Oh, I think my wife got pulled <laughs> over one time because she was driving my car through a town that I have. I don't rip through <laughs> that you've had a history. But like in. when I came back from COVID, I had to get off seventy every day at Greenfield anyway, so I would go through Kennard. And she rolled through Kennard at a different time and got pulled over by the Kennard cop, like boom, like that. I think it's because he'd seen me come through town and <laughs> recognize the car. <laughs> With that, we say thank you guys so very much for being a part of the show. We will catch you next Thursday. <laughs>